Cool. Well, listen, we are in a series going through the, the book of Acts together. And I was just talking to some people like in between services. I'm like, you realize like we've been, we've been going through this. This is like, I think week 17. This is quite possibly the longest sermon series ever in the history of New Life Church. Um, and it's been every week I feel like God has just got something new and fresh for us. And I can't tell you how many times it's like a confirmation of, of something that, uh, that we're praying about, that we're working through as a staff, that we're in men's morning prayer, and, and just something that God's doing fresh in us. And so um, the past couple of weeks, we've been talking about Paul and Barnabas. And if you've missed the past few weeks, we've been talking about their first missionary journey, and they're going around preaching and teaching in different cities, and they get kicked out of places. Paul gets stoned and left for dead and dragged out of the city, and then he gets back up and goes back into the same city. It's a crazy, I mean, they just keep going back to these same places. They're building the church, even in the midst of bad days. They are building the church and finding people coming to faith. Isn't that how life is sometimes, even in the midst of a bad day where it didn't go the way that you hoped or thought that it could or should, but God, right? Like he, he continually is working in our good days and our bad days and everything in between. And so they're seeing people from all walks of life come to Jesus. Like they're, they're traveling around and they're talking to Jews, they're talking to Gentiles, they're talking to anybody, and uh, people are coming to faith in Jesus and, and he's just putting leaders in churches as he's leaving to go to the next place. And so they get back. They're back at home base now. Paul and Barnabas, they've made about almost a two-year journey. They come back to Antioch and they're like, okay, let's have like a missions re-entry night. You know, let's talk about all the cool stuff that God's been doing. They're, they're just talking about it and people are listening and it's so cool. And then they start to realize that we're going to pick up in, in Acts chapter 15 today that there's like some drift that has happened over the past couple of years of them being away. And um, so let's read it together. If you'd stand with me uh, as we read God's word, we honor the reading of God's word here. Acts chapter 15, we're going to start in verse 1 and read down through kind of this, this drift that's been happening. Acts chapter 15, verse 1. Certain people came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the believers. This is what they were teaching them. Unless you're circumcised, according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. This brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. And so Paul and Barnabas were appointed. Um, so Paul and Barnabas were appointed along with some other believers to go up to Jerusalem to see the apostles and the elders about this question. The church sent them on their way as they traveled through Phoenicia and Samaria, and they, they told how the Gentiles had been converted. And this news made all the believers very glad. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and elders to whom they reported everything that God had been doing through them. Verse 5, then some of the believers who belonged to the party of the, of the Pharisees stood up and said, the Gentiles must be circumcised and required to keep the law of Moses. The apostles and elders met to consider this question. After much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them. Brothers, you know that some time ago, God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. God, who knows the heart, showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them just as he did to us. He did not discriminate between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear? 
No, we believe that it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved just as they are. The whole assembly became silent as they listened to Barnabas and Paul telling about all the signs and wonders that God had done among them through the Gentiles through them. When they finished, James spoke up. Brothers, listen to me. Simon has described to us how God first intervened to choose a people for his name from the Gentiles. The words of the prophets are in agreement with this as it is written. And he quotes from the Old Testament. He says this, After this, I will return and rebuild David's fallen tent. It, its ruins will I will rebuild and I will restore it that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord, even all the Gentiles who bear my name, says the Lord, who does these things, things known from long ago. And then he says in verse 19, it is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Instead, we should write to them, telling them to abstain from food polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from the meat of strangled animals, and from blood. Let's pray. Lord, um, that portion of Scripture ended weird. Um, and I pray that as we get into your word today, that uh, everything that is in your word is profitable for believers. So it's in there for a purpose and for a reason. I pray that it would get on down the inside of us, that we wouldn't leave this place the same um, and that you would speak to us through your word that is living, active, sharper than a double-edged sword. In Jesus' name, amen. So we'll get to the last part there uh, a little bit later. Um, but Paul and Barnabas, they're, they're traveling around. They, they come back to Antioch, and the church is really confused. That's what They find a confused church. And we see it in verse 1. It says this, Certain people came down from Judea to Antioch, and we're teaching the believers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. That's a pretty tall order. Um, I don't know what your church membership requirements have been in the past, but I'm guessing that it didn't have anything to do with a surgery of any sort, right? Um, in, to which many, I'm sure, in the church in Antioch were wondering, I wonder why our membership class is made up entirely of women. As all the men are sitting in their cars in the parking lot waiting, babe, I just don't know if I'm quite ready to become a Christian. It's easier for you. It's a big commitment, right? I'm just counting the cost here. Um, and so there's this, there's this all kinds of craziness going on. And Paul and Barnabas are ticked off. They're upset. And it, it creates this debate. It probably didn't go so well. They were probably uh, yelling a bit at each other. But I need you to understand that this debate is not just about the surgery of circumcision. That's not what this is all about. It is that and also more. It's about the following of the Mosaic Law and all the laws that came with it. Because for Jews, all throughout the Old Testament, they have moral laws and then they have ritual laws. They kind of made, make up the law, right? The Old Testament. And so when I say moral laws, I mean like, kind of like the, the Ten Commandments. These are, thou shalt not kill, all of those things. Like, we understand these moral laws. Um, but that's not what 
this whole debate is about. This debate is about the upwards of over 600 ritual laws. Now, these laws were about things like you can do this, but you can't do that. You can touch this, but you can't touch that. You can eat this, but you can't eat that. You can wear this, but you can't wear that. You can do this, but you can't do that. All of these rules are literally over 600 ritual laws that a Jew from his earliest time would be raised in and knowing and and obeying. And so now, Paul and Barnabas just come back and they've been They've been telling all these non-Jews, these Gentiles about Jesus. They're coming to faith. They're building churches. They're leaving leaders in place. And all of a sudden, um, they're like, whoa, 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 whoa. Like, I did, they, if they're not circumcised, they, they can't be saved. So why weren't they? Because Paul and Barnabas weren't making them. They're just telling them about Jesus. And it becomes this big debate. And I want to just kind of like, if we can like crystallize this debate into one sentence, it would be this. Do people need to become Jewish before they become Christians? That's the question. Do do people, is salvation for outsiders or is it only for insiders? Is the gospel truly for everyone, every tribe, culture, language, nation? Or is it only for people who become Jews before they become Christians? And so Paul and Barnabas, um, they head to Jerusalem, and they're like, you know what, guys? We're not going to solve this problem here. I'm going to go. We're going to go, and I'm going to talk to the disciples, the apostles, the original, the 12. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna settle this thing, and uh, they're going to settle this debate. And so they, they head on out, and they, they get to Jerusalem. They arrive, and they start telling the apostles about all the cool stuff that God's been doing in the gen, with the Gentiles. And, and they're just like, oh, then, yeah, let me tell you about this. Let me tell you about that. And then all of a sudden, in verse 5, we start to see where maybe some of this, like, uh, this teaching comes from. Verse 5. Let's read the first part of it. It says this. Then some of the believers who belonged to the party of the, of the Pharisees stood up. Now, that word Pharisee, like you probably remember as we talked, all throughout the Gospels, you see Jesus and the Pharisees always butting heads. They did not believe that Jesus was who he said that he was. They were always trying to catch him in lies or tricks. He called them broods of vipers, whitewashed tombs. Like they weren't, they weren't tight. They weren't close. So what would, what would cause a Pharisee to become a believer in Jesus, like it says in verse 5? Only one thing the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. I mean, essentially, like if you really look at it, like the Pharisees were, were primarily responsible and behind the crucifixion of Jesus. So the only reason that they would ever come to faith in Christ is that they believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to which they probably came to the, to the thought of, I think we made a huge mistake. And so... Some of these Pharisees, obviously, we read from verse 5, they come and they follow Jesus and they join the church. But here's the problem. They're the ultimate insiders, right? I mean, they're like the perfect ones, you know, the the Old Testament, all the Old Testament laws. They they make sure that everybody else is following all of them as well. And they're trying to, you know, penalize people if they're not. And then they become, you know, Christians. They're followers of Jesus and that they're still pulling in all of the good stuff that they've grown up in and teach people and all of those things. They're the ultimate insiders insiders. And we see this because of what they say in verse 5. They say, they stood up and then it says, the Gentiles must be circumcised and required to keep the law of Moses. In other words, all Gentiles must become Jews in order to become Christians. 
In other words, like, the only way you get to join this club is to become like me. Isn't that interesting? Which seems, as we read it, a bit absurd and honestly a bit sadistic. But they're like, yes, I, I understand the cost, but this is what you have to do. Until we look at our own lives and our own hearts and we realize that, that as I look at like even the church, the history of the church, or even in my own heart, there is this gravitational pull to move from grace to law. There's a gravitational pull to, to move from relationship to religion time and time and time again, to begin by following Jesus only by the work of the Holy Spirit, but then trying to maintain it through the works of the flesh. So the, the title of my message today is Re-Gospeling. It's a made-up word. I made it up. It doesn't exist. Um, if I were to define it, though, a made-up word, um, re-gospeling simply means continually simplifying and clarifying the works of Jesus in our life. This is the thing that every single one of us needs to do. This is the thing that is happening here in Acts chapter 15. One of the things I want us to realize, as you look at Acts chapter 15, you may think like, okay, like how, how old is the church here in Acts chapter 15? It's about 20 years old. 20 years old. And 10 years ago, before Acts chapter 15, was when Cornelius, the first Gentile, comes to faith in Jesus Christ. And so what we see is this, this debate is essentially re-gospeling the church. It, it's coming back and clarifying and simplifying what is it that we're saved through. We see this in verse 7. It says this, after much discussion, Peter got up. There's three, three times that people get up. The first one is Peter. And this is what he says. Notice, notice the words that he chooses. He says, brothers, you know that some time ago, 10 years ago, a decade ago, God made a choice among you. Like, I, I didn't want to make this choice. God made it. Remember, I got the vision and all that, that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. God, who knows the heart, showed that he accepted them. How? By giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. He didn't discriminate between us and them. He purified their hearts by faith. So essentially, Peter's looking at these people and he's like, hey guys, why are we talking about this? Why is this even a debate at this point? God already settled this a decade ago. I think y'all need to be re-gospeled, Right? Remember Cornelius? Do you guys remember like a decade? Cornelius is still here. His family got saved. Do you guys remember how this went down? Do you remember how I got the vision and I went begrudgingly to Cornelius' house and preached the gospel to them? They received the gospel. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. They spoke in tongues. God purified them from the inside that out. Like, do you remember that he didn't discriminate between us and them? So why do we think that we now need to? Because there's this gravitational pull. But the gospel's for everyone, not just for insiders. Christ died for all. And then he says in verse 10, now then, 
Why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear? I almost wonder if Peter, if he's talking to the crowd of all these Jewish believers in Jerusalem and he calls one of his old buddies out, like, hey, Frank, you remember? Yeah, we went to Hebrew school together. Frank, do you remember what we did after Hebrew school? Do you remember that? Remember how we, we got in trouble after? Do you remember that? Like, yeah, we didn't do this thing perfectly, did we? And we knew the right thing to do. We did it right after Hebrew school. We were literally taught in Sunday school, Hebrew school, what we were supposed to do. We did the wrong thing right after Hebrew school. Do you remember that, Frank? And now we, we think that we need to put a requirement on them that you, Frank, you and I, you, we both know that we haven't been able to do perfectly. And then he continues in verse 11. He says, no. We believe that it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved just as they are. So don't forget, Frank. Don't forget that you and I are saved by grace just like they are. Don't forget that, that, that all that stuff that, that we were taught, all that stuff that we tried to do and we failed to do and we tried really hard to do, but it never saved us. Don't forget, Frank, that the only reason you're here, don't forget that the only reason that you are here is because you are saved by the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and not of yourself. Don't forget that, Frank. And it seems so silly to us as we look at like our 21st century lens, like we're like, okay, this is, this is weird, like... I mean, how can these Christians, 20 years in, 10 years into these, these Gentile believers all around them, how can they think now that, okay, in order to become a Christian, I have to first get circumcised in order to be saved? Or in order to be, to be a Christian, I have to believe in Jesus and follow all 613 Old Testament laws in order to be saved? Or I have to believe in Jesus and become a Jew first in order to be, to be saved? I mean, that's, that's crazy. But honestly, like, I mean, if we aren't re-gospeling ourselves, don't we fall into the very same thing? As we move from grace, God, I am so undeserving, to law, thinking that we can now deserve or earn what we got for free because it always boils down to Jesus plus something else. And we see it in our world today, don't we? We see it in churches, maybe that you've come from. Maybe even we struggle with it internally. We don't necessarily say it out loud, but we, don't may, we may not even see it as one click off, but it's the Jesus plus the Virgin Mary. It's Jesus plus Speak in tongues or you're not saved. Jesus plus vote for this political party. Jesus plus be baptized by a certain way, by a certain holy person. Jesus plus wear certain types of clothing. Jesus plus you better not have any tattoos. You better not. And it's this reality that when we're faced with it, we all of a sudden were re-gospeled to realize that if everyone looks like us, acts like us, dresses like us, votes like us, thinks like us, we're probably not the church. We're like this weird, I don't know what we are. Because the church should look diverse. If the gospel truly is not just for insiders and people that are churchy, doing churchy things and say churchy words and speak in Christianese, if the church is truly for everyone, then it's going to look very different, isn't it? 
I mean, there's going to be people next to you that you're like, you don't look like me. But we don't need more of you. We need more of Jesus, don't we? Every single one of us. It's this whole idea where he's like, no. Peter says, no. We believe that it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we're saved just as they are. Because there's always they. There's the us and there's the they, isn't there? He says, just as they are. You're saved the same way that they are. And don't forget it. The insiders and the outsiders are saved by the grace of God. C.S. Lewis, uh, he wrote a few things. He, um, he was quoted, he was asked by um, a panel of people as he was walking by. They said, hey, uh, could you weigh in on this, in this discussion? We're wondering, what do you think is the difference between Christianity and every other world religion? And he responded immediately, quickly. He said, oh, that's easy. It's grace. It's grace. Christianity is the only religion that puts grace at its theological center. Grace is essentially the unmerited favor of God. Every other world religion has, has opportunities for you to, to you to get to this place, to get to this place so that you can finally have karma, so that you reincarnate in something greater, and that if you can get to this level and to this level and to this level of enlightenment, then you will finally achieve. And grace just like, <laughs> you're not good at any of it. You need a savior. And there's something on the inside of us. I don't know why we fight it because the reality is we know it to be true. I'm, I'm, I'm stinking at life and I need someone to help me. And yet we want to continually climb our way thinking that we can climb our way to God rather than the realization that God came down to make a way for us. Because the law can't purify your heart. The law can't forgive your sin. The law can't uh, give you the Holy Spirit. The law can't give you eternal life. But grace can. Grace can. Because rules don't save us. All rules do is point us to the reality that we need a savior. Why? Because we always say, we're like, well, whenever you make a rule, it's meant to be broken, right? Because we get rules and we automatically think, okay, I don't, I'm, I'm really not good at this. I'm going to try to find a way around it. Rules don't actually save us. They just remind you, hey, you, you, you need a savior. Rules are meant to lead us and point us to relationship with God, not to take its place. And this is the regospeling. The regospeling that's happening in Acts chapter 15, it's the regospeling that every single one of us, I hope, we struggle with on a regular basis. And so Peter drops the mic after he says that, and then Paul and Barnabas, they pick up the microphone up off the floor because you know Peter just drops the mic. In verse 12, it says, the whole assembly became silent as they listened to Barnabas and Paul telling about the signs and wonders that God had done among the Gentiles through them. So everyone sits, imagine this. They're, they're, everyone sits absolutely silent, listening to testimony after testimony, miracle after miracle, story after story, salvation after salvation. And essentially they're saying to this whole group of people, and you guys think that God can't save people who aren't in the club? Like, are you kidding me? Too late, guys. The ship has already sailed. It's happening. Let me just tell you about all the things that God is doing among the Gentiles. And let me remind you, even church here in America, like the next move of God is going to stretch you. 
Do you realize that? You're going to be confronted with people who don't look like you, act like you, talk like you, and you wonder, like, well, can they be saved? Absolutely. Either there's no prerequisite apart from repenting and believing, or there's all kinds of stuff that you got to get your life ready to, all, you got to get this set, you got to get this figured out before you can come to faith in Christ. And this is the regospeling that was so necessary for them and is necessary for every single one of us. And then James steps up to the podium. Everybody listens to James. He's the last guy. He's the closer. Why does everyone listen to James? Because he's Jesus' half-brother. Think about this. What would it take for you to, be, to, for you to believe, to be convinced that your brother is the son of God? It'd take you a lot, right? I mean, all through his life, I'm sure he's like, yeah, nice magic trick, Jesus. You're not the son of God, right? The only thing that finally convinced James that his brother was the son of God was that he was literally confronted with the risen Jesus Christ, his brother, risen from the dead after he died. All of a sudden he realized, huh, he really was. He really is. And he becomes a pillar in the, in the church. So everybody listens to James. This guy is like the pastor of pastors here in Jerusalem, and he steps up. And essentially what he does, his argument's a little bit different though. He doesn't be like, hey guys, I know Jesus. You know, we grew up together and these are some of the things he said behind his closed doors. No, he doesn't do that. What he does is he walks up and he opens up the Bible and he brings it open to an Old Testament book called Amos. And we read this a little bit earlier, how, how God said that one day he was going to open up the doors, not just to the Jews, but to the Gentiles, to everyone, that this has happened even before, that, that God had prophesied that this was going to happen. And James essentially regospels them by reminding them that the gospel is for everyone. Everyone. And then he sums it up perfectly. Verse 19, if you don't get any other verse out of this whole time, it's this. This is how he, he closes it. He says, it is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Because if you look throughout history, the church history, if you look into your own heart, you'll find that gravitational pull to, to do what? To make it difficult for outsiders to become insiders. It's ugly, I know. It, it, we don't want to admit it. And you may even get mad at me for saying it. But there's this, if we're not continually regospeling ourselves, what ends up happening, church, is that your preferences become absolutes. Well, is it just, I like this music, it's my favorite song, and we should play it every Sunday. I don't care if anybody else doesn't like it. I, I, this is the way I like things. And this, listen, if we are not continually regospeling ourselves, we will begin to see the church as a club for saints rather than a hospital for sinners. And this is at the heart of regospeling. This, 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 this is at the heart of why Paul and Barnabas are just so ripped, ripped about this. How in the world could you cheapen the gospel like this? And so James regospels them by telling them, look, look, the we should not make it difficult for people to turn to God. Now, it's quiet in here. 
Because some of you are agreeing with me and some of you are like, Pastor Justin's getting pretty progressive. I'm just going to tell you, Margaret, um, he says that one more time, I'm out of here. I mean, this grace, grace, grace. I mean, there's requirements and there's expectations and God expects us to walk in obedience to him and I don't really like this. I want you to understand that this same James who just throws that out there is the very same James who wrote the book of James who said, faith without works is dead. I want you to understand that he's not being soft on obedience to the Holy Spirit. He's being strong on grace. In other words, he knows that the greatest hindrance, that, that the cross of Christ, the Bible says, is, um, is an obstacle, right, for people to come to faith in Christ. And so what he's saying is, let's not make the church a further obstacle, we shouldn't make it hard for people who are turning to God. And so we speak the truth in love. That's what I attempt to do every, every week. But we expect the Holy Spirit is the one who convicts people of sin and changes them from the inside out. Either that's true or we need to manipulate and control people to do the, what we want them to do. Either God literally transforms us from the inside out. Either the Holy Spirit present in us speaks to us and we choose to either walk in obedience or walk in disobedience to him or it's something that we need to keep our thumb on people to make sure that they're doing. That's the heart of regospeling and it's so messy. And I know some of you are struggling with it because I do. I struggle with it. And so what do they do? They decide to send a letter perfect. They had this big meeting. All right, we're going to send a letter. I'm going to read this letter to you. Acts chapter 15, verse 23. This is the transcript of the letter that was sent to Antioch. The apostles and elders, your brothers, to the Gentile believers in Antioch, Syria, and Cilicia, greetings. We've heard that some went out from us without our authorization and disturbed you, troubling your minds by what they said. So we all agreed to choose some men and send them to you with our dear friends, Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, we're sending Judas and Silas to confirm by mouth, by word of mouth, what we are writing. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us not to burden you with anything beyond the following requirements. Pause. Isn't it interesting? It's a, I always think that's kind of funny. It's like, um, it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us the Holy Spirit, you know, had a good idea. We agree. I agree. I mean, not at first, but the Holy Spirit kind of convinced me. It's good. Okay. okay. Isn't it so funny? What I love about this early church, what I love about this, these leaders, is that even though many of them probably disagreed, even like maybe some of you right now, you're just kind of like struggling with this tension right now, even though they're like, I don't know if I'm fully on board, they allowed the vision and prophecy of Peter, they allowed the testimonies of Paul and Barnabas, they allowed the very word of God to change their mind. Church, whenever you disagree with God, may you always allow him to change your mind rather than the other way around. Amen? This is the beauty. I mean, these guys are like, okay, we're going to send this letter. This is what the letter says in verse 28. Seemed good 
that to the Holy Spirit and to us, not to burden you with anything beyond the following requirements. Verse 29, you are to abstain from food sacrificed to idols, from blood, from the meat of strangled animals, and from sexual immorality. You will do well to avoid these things. Toodles. I, I, I don't know about you, but this, this ending, this kind of the crux of this letter was a bit unexpected. These are really like, these are the non-negotiables. Like you had a big meeting. The, the hard part for me is that they don't even say anything about circumcision in the entire letter, which to which every male in the church of Antioch is like, uh, what the heck, you know, are you not going to address this? It was a big question for me, you know, like, they're just like, ah, oh, just keep, keep going. These are the only things that we ask you to do. And then he gives them four things, four things, which are, um, well, two of them are okay. And two of them are what? Let's read them. I'll go through them really quick. The first one was to stay away from sexual immorality. Okay. I get that. That's something, that's a moral law. Obviously, it, Paul addresses that with the church in Corinth, all the sexual immorality that was going on. Stay away from it. Stay away from sexual morality. Get it. Okay. Stay away from food, sacrifice to idols, idolatry. Okay, we should stay away from that. I don't, you know, you're to serve only one God. He is your God. Don't go after any other idols. You know what? Just stay away from meat that's sacrificed to idols because it's just messy and you should just, just stay as far away from meat sacrificed to idols or a- any idolatry in general. Number three, don't eat blood. Mm, okay, never really had a taste for it, but that's easy. Like, it's one of those where you're like, awesome, I got one of the three. This is awesome, I'm totally rocking it. I got it, I got it. I'm struggling on the other two, but the third one, no problem, Jesus, right? And then the fourth one is this, um, don't eat the meat of strangled animals, When was the last time you went to Hannaford? <laughs> and you're looking for a nice cut of steak, right? And you're just like, yeah. Excuse me, can I speak to the butcher really quickly? Um, yes, sir. Yeah, did you? How was this animal killed? Right? Did, you, did you strangle this animal? <laughs> yes, sir. I, I personally strangled that cow myself, right? Urgh, it, it took forever, right? <laughs> I mean, like, like, oh, my God, just... Deep sleep, deep sleep. I mean, I have no idea what in the world, like how in the world is this even a thing? Like I'm talking about the four non-negotiables to be like, this is what you should do. You know, we're talking about circumcision, following all the laws, just, just don't, don't eat blood. Okay, cool. And don't eat meats that's from a strangled animal. Odd. So what is this all about? So there's really two commands and two concessions, I would say two concessions. The two commands are about stay away from sexual immorality and stay away from idolatry. Those are obvious. We get that. Absolutely. God is the only God. Only worship him and stay away from sexual immorality. Good. But the second one, the, the second two are willingly abstain from eating blood and from animals that have been strangled. The first two we see as like morality. I get that. That's cool. The other two are confusing at best. But here's the thing. So why in the world these other two? What, what is that all about? It's all about community. Bear with me. It's all about how to live together with people who are not like you. You're like, okay. See, Jews were not allowed to eat blood 
And if you ate meat from an animal that had been strangled, it would mean that the blood was not drained from the meat correctly and properly. And so they would not be able to eat that meat because it had blood in it. They needed to stay away from blood, right? Essentially, what, what, what the church in Jerusalem is getting at, t- speaking to these Gentiles, is Romans 12.10, which is this. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourself. So Gentiles, when you come to the potluck with your Jewish brothers and sisters, um, don't bring blood sausage um, or meat from strangled animals because it's just going to cause division among you. Can, can you. can you commit to just conceding and not doing that for the sake of community? So if you have someone maybe today over to your house and they're a vegetarian, maybe don't serve bacon-wrapped steak. Yeah. I don't know for the sake of community, because it gets really awkward. You're like, all right, I'm so glad you have you over here. You ready to dig in? They're like, I'm sorry, I don't eat steak. And you're like, oh, it's too bad for you, right? Because it's always about community to which you, you, may, you may say and be thinking even right now, like there's nothing wrong with a good steak, and I would agree with you. I love steak, right? Or you may be thinking, what sausage is awesome, to which no one has ever said. Because <laughs> I tried it once, and it was disgusting. And if you think otherwise, I'll pray for you after service. It... <laughs> or you may be thinking, like, it doesn't matter how they killed the chicken, whether they did this or this. I don't care. And you may be right. Like, maybe you're like, yeah, I don't, I don't really care. And it, it doesn't really matter how this chicken was, was killed. And... But it is about preferring one another. And here's what we find in this scenario, and we also see when Paul is confronting and talking uh, about meat sacrificed to idols. And this is the hard part for every single one of us that walks in the freedom that has been given to us by Christ. It is always the one who is walking in freedom that is called to abstain in order to prefer the other. They don't send the, the note and be like, yeah, you know what, all the Jews among you, you know, you already got the thing. Peter had the dream. You know, you could just... You can eat whatever you want, eat some pig, eat some steak, whatever you want to. No, they say, like, look, Gentiles, in order for you to be able to have community with your Jewish brothers and sisters, we ask that you would abstain from these things. And here's the hard part for every single one of us, because we we're not talking about blood and all that kind of stuff, but it's this reality that if, if you're unwilling or unable to temper your freedom for the benefit of community, then you may think that you're walking in freedom, but you're really enslaved by it. I don't like it either. Why don't you stand with me? It's a, it's a tough, tough letter And and, and there's all kinds of angst going on in the inside of us. Those who have been Christians for a very long time are realizing our need to be re-gospeled or maybe pushing it away. And those of you who are fresh coming in for maybe the first time and you don't even know how you feel about Jesus, I want you to know that the table is open, that all are welcome to come and to turn to God. 
And maybe you're seeing the cross of Christ as a stumbling block. And I just don't know. I just don't know. Could Jesus be the only way? And all those questions. I just want you to know that as a church, we don't want to stand in the way of that happening in your life. Why? Because the same way that I came to Christ is the same way that you're going to come to Christ. It's not because of you got all your stuff together and you got off drugs and you did all these things and, and you patched up all of this stuff and all the messi- messiness of your life and you got this figured out. It's literally you just come to Jesus saying, I'm, I kind of stink at this whole life thing and I desperately need a safe and I'm trying and trying and trying but I know that I desperately need you Jesus may we continually be re-gospeling ourselves and Paul reminds the church in Galatia I'll end with this scripture he speaks about the exact same thing to the Galatians he says you foolish Galatians calls them fools who has bewitched you Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I would like to learn one thing from you, he says. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish? After beginning by means of the Spirit, are you now trying to finish by the means of the flesh? He literally is like, who's tricked you? Who's bewitched you? Who, who swindled you into believing that you, you have to now earn what you received for free? Who swindled you into thinking that you now have to put up hoops for others to come into faith in Christ? And I'm not saying that once we come into faith in Christ, that it is not onward and upward, that we walk in obedience and step by step of what it is that God's calling us to. I'm just saying that the first step should not be a hindrance for us realizing that Christ died for all. For you and for me and for people that aren't like you and me. That he opened the floodgates for everyone, even Gentiles. It's this reality that we need to be re-gospeled, that reminded to be in constant awe of the work of God in our life. And if we're not, then we've gotten off track. That, that, that someone along the way has convinced you that you earned it. Like you somehow got off on good behavior of a life sentence. It doesn't happen. It only comes when the judge absolves you and frees you from it. And the only way that you're walking in the blessing of the miracle that you're in right now is because God picked you up out of the junk that you were in and he set you on a solid rock and he forgave your sins and he filled you with the Holy Spirit and he transformed you from the inside out. You are literally a walking miracle. And, and don't think that it's because of your good behavior that got you there. Please don't cheapen the gospel is what Peter would say, is what James would say, is what Paul and Barnabas would say. And so, Lord, I, I pray for each and every single one of us in this room right now. We're all come from different, different walks, to be honest. Some of us have been Christian for 50 years. And some of us have still yet to even make that decision to begin following hard after Jesus. Lord, I pray for those of us who have been Christians for 50 years or 20 years or that that, that re-gospeling, we would submit ourselves to it and We continually simplify and clarify what it is that the work of God is doing in our life and that we wouldn't have these hoops that people have to jump through in order to be saved, but it is simply repent and believe 
Lord, I just thank you that you open up the floodgates. And for those of us who are here today and we've, you never made that decision, I pray that today would be a day where you just make a decision. I don't have my life all together and I'm still in this place. And maybe you're even drunk right here today. And you're like, man, I, well, you don't understand. Like, I, I, I don't have my life together and I'm not ready. And Jesus isn't ready for me. And he says, oh, I'm ready. I'm ready as soon as you hand it over. I'm ready as soon as you surrender. I'm ready as soon as you just say, take it because I'm not doing it. So Lord, as we walk in the grace of the miracle of salvation, God, I pray that we would be reminded that it is all the grace of Jesus. It is all you. Lord, we thank you. Remind us, re-gospel us today that we would walk in the beauty of the blessing of the re realizing the miracle that it is. Remind us what you saved us from. Remind us of where we were so we can look to our neighbor and see people across the street and not walk in judgment, but just know, God, oh, you could get a hold of them in a hot minute. God, I just thank you that you desperately love these people. Help me not to be a stumbling block for them to come to you and to turn to you. Jesus, have your way in us. Let's worship him together, church. Allow him to speak to you. Allow him to bring some things up in you, correct some things in you, re-gospel you in ways that you just know that you've been pushing away, pushing aside. Allow him to reinvigorate uh, just truly a, a call for the lost and not try to make everyone insiders, but just knowing that God died for the outsiders. It is through his amazing grace. Let's lift him up, Jesus. Thank you, Lord.